This is the Tan Report. I'm your host, Tan Trung. Endorsements are all around us. Social and traditional media are full of ads with celebrities, influencers, and everyday folks pitching us everything from medication to mountain getaways. I recently dedicated an episode of this podcast to the booming business surrounding college athletes, now that they can make money from endorsing products. On a more relatable level, when we do things like post a positive review or share a GoFundMe drive, we're, in a way, giving support to whatever it is we're passing along. Generally speaking, endorsements are welcomed, especially when they can motivate people. That's been the case in the political arena. Most candidates invite and often pursue endorsements because they can make or break a campaign. So I found it very unusual when a local politician in Louisiana told me he didn't really sweat endorsements in his latest re-election campaign. There was never a question to me in how this race was going to turn out. I mean, it was we were going to win and we were going to win resoundingly. Every poll showed that. This was an unwinnable race from the beginning for the other side, yet they convinced people that they were going to win, and they convinced some of the other people who got behind them endorsement-wise that, that they were going to win. But, you know, a lot of the endorsements are politically motivated, and there are other things at play besides real endorsements, and that's why the endorsements by the groups don't matter to me. If you get them, you get them. It doesn't phase me, and we've proven in two elections in a row now it doesn't matter. That's Scott Walker, a Republican. Jefferson Parish Councilman at large, which means represent the entire parish. We've got our five district council offices and two at-large offices. Endorsements weren't the only thing that Walker wasn't really concerned about for the election last month. My opponent liked to say he wouldn't be outspent and he wouldn't be outworked. And congratulations, because you weren't outspent. (laughs) You won that one. And he made constant comments about how hardworking they were and intimated that we were not a hardworking campaign, that we didn't do the work. And I take offense to that for everybody who's worked in my campaign this time and last, because we were a really hardworking group, and we busted our butts to get this done. And to, to say that we weren't doing the work when, oh, by the way, I had won a parish-wide election already. I had done that four years ago. People like to forget that um, I've done this once already, and we've kind of had a, a playbook for us that worked. And we used it again, and it worked even better this time. And, you know, signs, he had more signs than I did. He had more endorsements than I did. He had more money than I did. But we had a better message than he did, and we had uh, better support, obviously, than he did. So here we have a candidate who didn't pay much mind to political endorsements or the fact that his opponent outspent him in the race. (laughs) Yet, he was able to win by a huge margin. In the October 14th election for the at-large Division B seat on the Jefferson Parish Council, Walker won 61% of the vote. His opponent was Dominic Impostato, a fellow Republican and fellow council member. Impostato won only 39% of the vote. I recently visited Walker at his council office in Elmwood to get his take on how he was able to win so big while paying so little attention to conventional campaign concerns like endorsements and spending. How are you feeling post-election, post-victory, seeing all the the controversy that was going into it. Tired. (laughs) It was a long 11 months. Um, My opponent declared against me last November, and it makes it a long year. Uh, I mean, it's it's a shame that you lose almost a year of your term. After we kind of lost a year and a half of the first term with COVID, that you, on the back end, almost lose another year because of political foolishness. And as the council chairman this year, I run every meeting, so you know everything that you say is recorded can will be used against you. And you know I end up uh, doing very well in this election, but 
the whole time you're you really there's not a lot of work real work that can get done because all of a sudden everybody has to especially when you have four people on the current council running against each other you're in campaign it, mode everybody right is. so everybody has to thump their chest a little bit and stand out and maybe where you were agreeable before you're not as agreeable now and it just makes it challenging but we got through it and i think the people of jefferson parish um saw that our message resonated over four years. It did what I said I was going to do, communicated in a way the government had never really communicated before with constituents. And um, that's something that I believe for the past 11 months was severely underestimated. And it ended up where we had 61% of the vote and a resounding victory. And I'm happy to keep doing this job for another four years. Walker is a former news anchor in New Orleans television who won an unlikely first term in 2019 when he beat a longtime political veteran in Jefferson Parish. Walker says back then he didn't have much money and hardly any political endorsements. When he won re-election last month, he had more money this time around. But the endorsements were not a sure thing, even though he was a popular incumbent. Walker may have been running against Impostato, but he was also up against what insiders have called the machine politics of Jefferson Parish. Here's John Cuvion, a political pollster and consultant. When you talk about the Jefferson Parish quote-unquote machine, where I find that impact is most pronounced is if you look at what I call the quote-unquote smaller towns in Jefferson Parish, and more specifically, I'm talking about municipalities like Kenner, like Gretna, like Lafitte, like Grand Isle, like West Wego, where I've noticed that there is kind of a block vote that can come out of those quote-unquote towns if you have the support of the police chief, the, the mayor, and so forth. That, to me, is the closest that gets to quote-unquote machine politics I asked Walker if he believes his win represents a change in Jefferson politics, that perhaps the machine is not as influential as it once was. I believe that, yes, the machine, quote-unquote machine, doesn't have the strength that it once did. And there are people who say, what machine? There's no machine in politics in Jefferson Parish. I laugh at that very loudly every time I hear that because it absolutely exists, and you don't have to look far to see how it exists. And... Um, there's a, there's a lot of connections and a lot of tentacles, and if you just look a little bit, you see it all. I'm curious, um, though, what, what, what's your understanding of the machine? Because I asked a, another political consultant on this, and he gave me that. And I'm just curious, what, what's your understanding of the, the political machine in, in Jefferson? Well, my understanding of the machine is what I know what I know the machine is. And right now, that machine revolves around Greg Buson. Greg Buson is a major political consultant in Jefferson Parish. He's also the head of his own public relations and advertising firm. He was backing Dominic Impostato's challenge to unseat Walker. Some may say he was the orchestrator. In the run-up to the election, Impostato received endorsements from several political leaders in the parish that have supported Busan's candidates in the past. And a number of his candidates that are connected through numerous municipalities or in unincorporated Jefferson Parish, wherever. And in a lot of cases, not all, but in a lot of cases, they line up behind a particular candidate and they all support that candidate. And... That's where the big show of force comes from, which I think people have proven now twice in my elections doesn't really matter to them. They look at the candidate and they look at what you stand for, what you're talking about, what you're doing and what you have done, and they support you based on that. Um, So when you have a, a commercial that has a bunch of people in white shirts that says, we are the police chiefs of Jefferson Parish, and there's really only three police chiefs in that commercial that's got 12 people in it, the rest are constables. And all three of those police chiefs are represented by Greg Buson, or at least have a connection to Greg Buson. Then you see 
how it's at work because those constables are connected as well. And it's the whole misrepresentation of, of facts and, and just trying to fudge the truth a little bit to get your message across. And that's not how we play. That's how they play. And that's how it's always been. And I think that that's how it'll continue to be until, until people continue to make a difference against it. Before the election, Busan called Walker a, quote, empty suit, describing him as someone who craves the spotlight. Dominic Impostato denied machine politics or Busan's influence had anything to do with him getting certain endorsements ahead of the election. But as Scott Walker sees it, Greg Busan has been in the mix, going back to when he defeated another of Busan's candidates. It's the second election in a row. Greg Busan came to me and said, why don't you not run in this race? First race, it was to get out of the way for Paul Johnson. This race, he wanted me to clear the way for his candidate, uh, Dominic. And at that meeting, I said, um, whether it's Dominic or anybody else, I'm not getting out of the way. I don't, I ran for this job four years ago. I'm finishing the job, so I'm not moving. And he said, well, Dominic's going to come after you. And I said, well, come on, let's go because I'm going to win. And that's the attitude that I took from the beginning. Um, so I think that happens in a lot of races across the parish and in other places where people come to you and say, why don't you run for something else? And look, he's a political consultant doing his job for his candidate. So I don't fault him for that, for trying to clear, clear the field. But um, I, I wasn't moving. So that was my stance on that. During the campaign, there were accusations of intimidation and tampering with campaign yard signs by the machine. Frustrating, maybe. But Walker was confident in his support. He told me polling data showed he had strong numbers parish-wide heading into Election Day. And while he may not have placed a lot of emphasis on endorsements, he wasn't going to overlook the ones he did get. I'm thrilled that I had some elected officials parish-wide who had the backbone to stand up behind this campaign and, and support me because they knew the job that I did was a good one, and they knew that I was here for the right reasons. And Sheriff Lapinto had been behind me from the beginning, the assessor, uh, Tommy Capella, um, former Sheriff Newell Norman, former assessor Lawrence Shahardi, coroner Jerry Satanovich. I mean, those mean a lot to me just because they're they're people. I mean, they're, they're pol- elected political officials, but they're, they're people who are working in local government in parish-wide positions or did work in parish-wide positions. And the others are varying by group, have agendas, and are politically motivated in a lot of cases. But you're human, too, and I got I to gotta imagine that, especially when you're interacting with some of these police chiefs and these other groups and other individuals who have to have some type of interface with Jefferson Parish government and the council, and then maybe perhaps they promised an endorsement and then pulled it and then put it for your uh, opponent. I mean, that, that's got to feel weird. Yeah, and it makes it even more confounding as to why you do it. Because I'm the incumbent, and if you're looking at things objectively, I'm going to win. But there were people who didn't think I was going to win. And those were people who were blinded by some of the information coming out from the other side that portrayed this to have been a, a, a close contest. And it really wasn't. So I think it... it it does make it weird, but I'm a big boy and I can move past it. And I, I'm certainly not going to hold what happened, what was done by some elected officials against the people that they represent. I mean, that would be, that would be ridiculous. I mean, if, 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 for instance, and I'll use them as an example just because, but you can pick any municipality, municipality. But when the Harahan mayor and police chief are against me and I win Harahan and win every precinct in Harahan, that's not the people who are against me. That's the elected officials in that place that endorsed my opponent. So I'm certainly not going to hold that against the people that those people represent. I'm not going to hold it against the people who went against me. I mean, I can, I can move forward and, and make amends. And it, That's politics. Right. And in some cases, I, I'll say what that, do you mean? I'll say that in, in the first 
race, it was politics because I was the new guy. In the second race, some of it was personal, um, and it went beyond politics. But can you put a finer point on that? What do you mean personal? Like, well, I think there there happened? were some there were some people who went against me, the person, not me, the politician, and thought the other one was a better person, which you know whatever. <laughs> you, you can make your own choices and, and have your own opinions. But I really believed from the beginning that, that um, we had the right message and we had the right approach and we stayed positive in the campaign. We were never going to go negative and we ran the right kind of campaign. I, I said, look, if I lose, I'm going to lose doing it my way and we're not going to get dirty. Of course, campaign victories don't just hinge on endorsements or the amount of money a candidate spends. There can be a mix of factors, but all those factors are geared toward one goal, getting more people to vote in their favor. And that's something Walker was able to do. Here again is political pollster John Kuvion with his breakdown of Walker's win. What did you see in terms of the numbers when you pulled the race for Scott Walker? I never really saw that Dominic Impostato had a definable constituency that could get him to 50% of the vote. Because basically what you're talking about in terms of the broad outline of that race was that Scott Walker was the incumbent, he was highly visible, he already had name recognition from his time as a news anchor. And so I think this was a case of Dominic was grasping for an office that perhaps was never his to have in the first place, just because Scott was no was no pushover. If you rewound the, the game tape, what did you see coming out of that race when, when you did a postmortem on it? So the postmortem, which, by the way, is equally applicable to the other at-large race, when I look at Jefferson Parish, I think of four pieces of the puzzle here that you have to consider in terms of how do you assemble the necessary constituencies to get to 51% of the vote. In other words, to the outsider, they think, oh, Jefferson Parish is this Republican suburban parish, et cetera, et cetera. But when you talk about Jefferson Parish, the four pieces of the puzzle are this. Number one, East Bank versus West Bank, because the two have entirely different orientations, Number two, there is a statistically significant black vote in the parish now on both sides of the river, both east and west. The third piece of the puzzle, Kuvion addressed earlier. It was the influence of the machine politics in Jefferson Parish. And then there's a fourth piece of the puzzle which was not appreciated, but in my opinion, drove both elections. I jokingly call it the wall of Metairie. In other words, you're talking about this constituency of Metairie, and I throw in River Ridge because socioeconomically, the two are pretty much the same. And so those constituencies are not necessarily as enamored of machine politics. I mean, Metairie, for one thing, is not even an incorporated municipality. So you wouldn't have, you know, the Metairie police chief or the Metairie mayor who could make an endorsement. And so the thing that's important to realize in closing, before we get to the specifics of those two races, when we talk about the relative power of East versus West and what I call the wall of Metairie, so the East Bank, I estimate, and this is throwing in the early votes as well, applicable to those who voted on the East Bank versus West, the East Bank cast 62% of the parish vote. So that to me is piece number one. The wall of Metairie, as I call it, is... I estimated that between the precinct vote and the early vote, the wall of Metairie was about 45% of all of Jefferson Parish's vote. So in other words, if you did not have an appreciable vote from that constituency, you weren't going to win. Both Jennifer Van Racken and both Scott and Scott Walker did. That's the one commonality the two did have was a solid Metairie vote. 
Jennifer Van Vranken is another Jefferson Parish Council member who was up against one of the machine's candidates. Like Scott Walker, she had a convincing win, and she also was a former TV news reporter. After the election, Greg Buson told NOLA.com, quote, It was a good night across the board for newscasters, end quote. Here's Scott Walker's thoughts on that. The ex-news personality narrative might have worked four years ago when I won my first election, but I've done the job for four years, and I've done the job well for four years, and people responded to the job that I've done for four years, not because I'm a former news personality. Certainly people still remember me from that, but I'm five years removed from local news. So it's more about the job, and I think when you say it's a good night for ex-news personalities, referencing Jennifer Van Franken, too, who won the other at-large, who used to work in local news, that it's sort of an insult to the job that I've done over the past four years. And, you know, I didn't didn't expect anything more coming from the other side because of all the the lies and misinformation and deceit that came from that campaign for 11 months. Um, But I know that the job we did was was a strong one, and that's what won me re-election. It's the way we communicate with constituents every day and the way that we answer challenges every day across the parish, plus get some really good work done along the way as well. John Kuvion believes there was some validity to the newsperson narrative, but he says that shouldn't be the only takeaway when looking at these two races. Number one, I do agree with the statement about, you know, the announcer, the TV announcers had a good night. Uh, number two, in each case, you had a different assembly of constituencies that got each one to victory. And so that, that to me is the other theme. And number three, I think the fact that just because one side had the monopoly on endorsements, that did not carry the day. And so I think that was that's kind of point number three to me. I would say in Scott's case, it was more of traditional tenets. And that is, while voter targeting is certainly something that is in vogue, I think you have to be careful with doing it because you have to look through the lens of, okay, is this a, you know, Democrat or Republican race? Is it Republican or Republican? Is it Democrat or Democrat? What's the parish we're running in? As opposed to just saying, oh, well, because Donald Trump got X percent of the vote in Jefferson Parish, then I should just do a base appeal. What Scott did, in my opinion, I thought was smart was basically he, in my opinion, reached out to everybody and he didn't leave any voter groups for granted. I mean, the fact that he did as well enough in what I call the smaller towns of Jefferson Parish, like, for instance, nearly breaking even West Wego and Gretna and Kenner, I thought that was pretty impressive as well as getting a massive black vote. And then the wall of Metairie came through for him as well. So basically, he was running the tables on multiple fronts, which I think is good because that's basically an incumbent who doesn't want to overtly write off any voter block. And I think that's a good thing. Your polling numbers showed that you had the advantage and certainly the end results were like, what went right for you? I think everything, without sounding cocky about it, everything went well for us and went right for us. Um, The endorsements, if I got them, I got them. If I didn't, I didn't. I honestly can tell you that I didn't care if I got them or not. You know, it, why? I'm curious. Why, why? Why didn't you care about the endorsements? Because I know the reality of the endorsement. Like, if I get it, I'm going to win by 22 points. If I don't get it, I'm going to win by 22 points. You know, that's. I don't think it's going to affect how I'm perceived by the public. And maybe there are some people who say, "Why is this guy getting all the endorsements and the incumbent isn't?" But I think we answered those questions during the course of the campaign. And if I get them, great. Maybe it helps a little bit. 
I don't know that it's it's easy to to look at it and say what it might have done, but all I know is what it has done or what it hasn't done. And last time I didn't have them and I got fifty four percent of the vote. This time I didn't have them and I actually had a couple less and I got sixty one percent of the vote. So maybe if I get no endorsements next time, I can have sixty five or seventy percent of the vote. I don't know. Do you think your victory and uh, Jennifer Van Franken's victory represents kind of a, a shift that perhaps? politics can be done or should be done in a different way? Or do you think after you guys leave office and after you're term limited that it kind of falls back into its old rut? I hope it makes a difference because it would suck if it <laughs> if we did all this and it just went right back to the way it was. Not if you're on the other side, <laughs> right. not if you're on the machine side. But I hope it can um, make lasting change in Jefferson Parish because I really believe that um, if there's if there's a lot of power from one place and there's a lot of people connected to that power, then it's not good for the overall overall um, look of Jefferson Parish and the people of Jefferson Parish. The more independent voices you can have, the more the more I think it, it works to the benefit of the people. Walker will be term limited after the next four years, but after two convincing victories by an unconventional candidate, there's already curiosity about what he may do beyond his time on the council. Those conversations started, I think, 10 minutes after the election ended, where people, where people were like, hey, Scott, you going to do this? You going to do this? I said, look, I can't think about four days down the road right now, much less four years down the road. I never say never to anything. I learned that years ago when um, I said I'd never be a news anchor when I was a sports anchor. <laughs> I said I could never wear a suit to work every day and, and work in news every day. So that's a long time ago is when I learned never to say never uh, because you never know. But So I never know, um, and I haven't decided on anything yet. I certainly don't rule anything out at this point, but I don't rule anything in. My, my family is going to be a big consideration. I'll have one well into college and one just about in college at that point. So maybe that's time to slow down and, and hang out with my wife a little bit more and, and travel and do some things. Or maybe it's time to, to do something else. And depending on where she is with it, I don't know. Um, that, but that's a bridge we'll, we'll cross later. The new Jefferson Parish Council will take office right after the new year. In Elmwood, I'm Tan Trung for WWL Radio.